on the reverse of your sheet, you will see it is entitled, this message today, The Loving Father. The Loving Father. Are all fathers good fathers? Sadly, no. Some abandon their children. Some are abusive to their children. Other fathers ignore them. Some manipulate them. Why? The ultimate reason is because of sin. Men are sinful people. And being a bad father is the result of sin. Henry Light, the hymn writer who wrote hymns like Abide with me, God of mercy, God of grace, and praise my soul, the King of heaven. He had a wretched father. His father and his mother split up when he was young. Henry was sent off to boarding school and then his father remarried. Henry's father would write to him and would not sign off with your father, dad or daddy, but your uncle. Sadly, Henry's father never allowed him again to call him father. How would you respond in that situation? Henry Light's response was to look to his heavenly father. Why? God the Father is perfect. Perfect in his holiness and in his love. He is a perfectly loving father. How will he treat us when we are not perfect people? Would he abandon us? Cut us out of his life? Will he say that he never wants to see us again? In Psalm 68 verse 5 we are told that God is a father to the fatherless. He will be a father to those whose earthly father has died or deserted them. He will be the perfectly loving father that we all need. I read from Psalm 103 before but I didn't read verse 13. And this reads, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear them. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God the Father is compassionate to his children when they are dusty and dirty. He knows that we are weak and sinful creatures. He is ready to wash us and cleanse us and forgive us when we go to him. He can do this because of his own son, Jesus Christ, who paid the punishment for our sin by his death on the cross. Henry Light, in all of his hymns, never allowed his broken relationship with his father to affect his view of the heavenly father. The father image in his hymns were a warm and comforting one. Our parable this morning is a powerful picture of the forgiving love of God. Jesus wanted all who are listening the opportunity to understand God the Father. 
And this is what I want to concentrate upon today. The fatherly love, mercy and grace of God. The imagery of verse 20 is so powerful that it should leave a mark in our minds for the rest of this week. An old man filled with compassion running to his son to hug and kiss him before his son does a U-turn. Our parable concludes the trilogy of parables about being lost. And our parable today adds weight to the teaching of what it means to be lost and found. Jesus is looking for the lost. We see the wonderful grace of God as Jesus teaches us today. Who is Jesus teaching? Look at verse 1. Tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes in verse 2. Jesus is motivated to tell our parable because he was criticised for welcoming in and eating with sinners. Verse 1. Jesus knows that the heart of all who are listening, he knows why the tax collectors and sinners gather to hear him teach instead of being healed or receiving some sort of material blessing. He knew the hearts of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He knows that they are more concerned about separating themselves from those who could make them unholy. In this parable, the cross, Jesus is speaking to a cross section of people. And he is clearly teaching that the message of grace from God to repentant sinners is applicable to every one of them and all of us here this morning. So I have three sermon points for us today. A rebellious son, a repentant son, and a returning son. So let's look at our first point from verses 11 to 16. A rebellious son. Jesus opens the scene of this parable of a love, with a loving father who had two sons. The younger son went to his father one day and bluntly demanded his share of the inheritance there and then. The inheritance would have been a third of the total inheritance, so a sizable sum. The reality of this request was more than a simple bank transfer of cash. In demanding his share at that moment, he was asking for the land his father owned to be valued, divided, and then turned into cash. The explanation of transferred, sorry, the expectation of transferred land ownership to a child was that the father would still be able to make use of the land until his death. But in selling it, that would mean the land was gone forever. The younger son, his request to his father was an insult and would have brought shame upon the family. In reality, the request was saying, I wish you were dead. 
In our culture, when a young person has the ability and their finances to leave the family home and to pursue a job opportunity or higher education, you know, this is acceptable, it's encouraged, but in Jesus' culture, this was a shameful demand. The younger son was abandoning his God-given responsibility to care for his parents in their elderly age. His heart desired money more than the care of his father. If you ever handed, handled a large sum of cash, it can feel nice. I remember in my early 20s, drawing out £3,000 for a car purchase and handling that amount of cash. For a moment, I felt quite happy, but then the concern set in. What if I was mugged? What if I lost it? There seems to be no indication from Jesus' parable that this younger son was worried at all. I can imagine the lad handling the cash and counting it, maybe getting a, sw- uh, a whiff of the smell of, this in, of these coins in his hands. Maybe he bagged it all up and went round and started to jingle it and thought, yeah, I'm going to have a good time now. The first pay packet I received for my first full-time job made me feel rich in comparison to what I had earned in part-time jobs. I'm sure that he thought as well that he had no longer had to work and that he had hit the jackpot. I don't have to stay around this old smelly farm and work for the old man. I'm going to go where I want, when I want and do what I want and no one can stop me. Jesus moves the parable forward with the younger son gathering all that he had and setting off for the distant land in verse 13. Everything he possessed was turned into cash. He was going to leave nothing behind. He must have felt that he was a free man. The old, restrictive, limiting, constraining lifestyle was now a thing of the past. The open road to freedom in a far country awaited him. Maybe you have felt this way when you left the family home. Maybe you will experience this when you go to university. Or maybe you have experienced it when you were at university. I see a hint of Jonah here in this passage as well as this younger son sets off, thinks that he could escape God and the influence that he has in his life. But that is not possible, is it? God is omnipresent, present everywhere. Jesus proceeds to tell us that when he was in that far country, he squandered his property in reckless living. He lived a playboy lifestyle, Imagine the fine dining, the drinking, the partying, the gambling, the expensive clothes, and the girls. I'm sure he was a popular lad because he had cash to spend, spend, spend. He was a free man living the way he wanted without the disapproval of his father. He lived in an unrestrained manner. What he wanted, he got it. 
every sensual pleasure was satisfied. He sowed to the flesh the desires of his heart. He lived a fleshly, abundant lifestyle. The way he was living was bringing disgrace upon the name of his family by fluttering away his inheritance. But the day came when he reached into his bag and he rooted around and instead of finding cash, he found fluff. The money was all gone. The fancy food, the partying, new friends, the girls, all stopped. He started to sober up. No savings to fall back upon. No family to turn to. He was all alone in a distant country. And to rub salt into his wound, a severe famine swept the country. And he felt the full effects. The boom went bust. He felt the reality of living on the curse of a fallen world. With a famine in full swing, no money at all to even buy rationed food, the younger son's only option was to search for a job. But that was a problem in itself. Who would hire someone during a famine? Jesus informs everyone listening, the younger son went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field into the fields to feed pigs, verse 15. Pigs? The Jews listening would have been shocked and disgusted at the thought. For them feeding pigs for a foreigner was really bad. Pigs was un were unclean animals, according to the Jewish law. Therefore, he was defiling himself. A Jewish rabbi put it bluntly, Cursed be the man who kept Swine. But Jesus didn't st stop there, verse 16. He longed to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He was that hungry that the pods for the pigs looked appealing to him. No one was giving him any food. He started to crave the pigs' food. He had fallen further. Sin is a hard taskmaster. Instead of being a free man, he was held captive to poverty amongst the pig, pigs. He is rock bottom. Friends, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that the younger son is not a direct representation of everyone. This lad is a symbol of the sinner in the pits. He is sunk as low as he could go. He is living in the gutter. He threw his life away. He lived a reckless life. He had gone off to live the high life, to eat the best food, not to work and toil, to become popular and have influence. But the ordinary sinners 
attitude, our attitude, is seen in the younger son's attitude too. He had the mind of, I'm doing it my way. The echo of, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, is heard in this parable. What he wanted to do, he did it, and no one was there to stop him. He wore the badge of freedom proudly. He is selfish and greedy, and these traits uh, of his character was clearly seen in full view. He saw purpose and freedom in his life, but he ended up wallowing in a pig pen and only garbage as his company. Remember Jesus' words, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. If there was a son a father could reject, it would be this one. If there was a sinner whom God would reject, it would be this lad. Saul of Tarsus was in that category. Mary Magdalene, the Samaritan woman at the well. The demon-possessed man in Mark 5. John Newton, the slave trader. The lead, a leader of, of Isis. The atheist. The pimp. The drug gang leader. The satanist. The sex trafficker. This is the picture of the lost before they are found. Remember who is gathered around Jesus. The tax collectors and sinners. How should we be thinking when we hear Jesus telling this parable? There is no one off limit to God. The Father's saving grace. We can't look at someone and say they have gone beyond the reach of God's mercy, his offer of salvation. There is no one who can say, look at what I have done for such a long time that I could never be saved. You may be thinking, you don't know what I have done. You don't know what I have said. You don't really want to know what my thoughts are. You don't want to see my internet browsing history. The things that I have typed and watched. They are shameful and disgusting. Friends, this applies to church-going people too. Children who are brought up in a Christian family. Yet here in our parable today is a young man who is in the worst possible situation. Abandoned and hopeless. Yet as we read on, even for the chief of sinners, there is a road that leads back to the Father. And there is a road that leads you from where you are today to where God the Father is. You can be lost in sin's degradation, in the depths of sorrow and shame, enslaved by sin for a long time. But the hope for you today is that there is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin.
a rebellious son. Let's come to our second point in verses 17 to 20. A repentant son. In chapter 15 we read and understand the nature of God the Father. A theme that runs through each of these parables is rejoicing of God in heaven when a sinner repents. We see that in verse 7, 10 and in our text verse 24 and 32. Jesus' ministry was to, be, was to be a joy, life-giving ministry. If you are certain about what repentance is and what it looks like, then we will see in the coming minutes a very good example in this parable. Look at me at verse 17. But when he came to himself, or came to his senses, you see the penny drops for the lad. He reflects upon his actions, where they took him and where he ended up. He understood that he was in a desperate situation. A returning to God must involve admitting our sin and seeing what it is. Sometimes we don't always see our sin. We don't, know, we don't always know the truth for ourselves. King David is one example of someone who did this, who didn't see his sins, the sins of lust, rape, adultery and murder. We don't read of sleepless nights or a coming to his senses. That only happened when God sent Nathan the prophet to reveal to him his sins. And only after that do we see King David's repentance in Psalm 51. Can you and I see our sin? Are we aware of the sin staring, in, staring at us in our face? Are we still wallowing in the mire and haven't come to our senses? Repentance is, honestly, is facing the, honest, the, honesty, the reality of who you are. It's owning up to where we are in our sin. And then in verse 17, Jesus tells us that the lad remembers that his, father, uh, that his father had given him so much. The rem this remembrance causes him to think to himself, why dozens of my father's hired man have got more food than they can eat, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The memory of his father causes him to have hope. Their parent's home is a haven for their child. So no matter how bad things get or when things go wrong, a child should know that they could always come back home. A pregnant daughter, a drug addict son should know that they can always go back to home to their parents when they have come to their senses. This is the inference I see in verses 17, 17 to 19. Son, no matter what you do or how low you go, no matter how you disgrace this family or the shame you bring upon it, you will always be welcomed back home with us. And maybe his father said, 
something like this when he left in verse 13. Parents, this morning, the challenge is to all of us. If, you call, if your son commits all sorts of moral mistakes, if your daughter ends up in prison, they must have the assurance that they can return home. A Christian, as Christian parents, we are called to reflect, exemplify the fatherhood of our Heavenly Father. After the young son comes to his senses and remembers his father, as we read in this parable, he picks himself up and leaves that distant country and heads back home. He leaves his old life behind and everything associated with it and sets off for a new life. This is repentance. He changed his direction and that in turn affects every aspect of who he is. Mind, emotions and will. He left behind the love of the world and the things of the world. It's a double turning. He no longer wanted to succumb to the lust of the flesh. The lust of his eyes and the self-gratification lifestyle. He got up, turned from it left it behind and headed to his father, whom he had a hope that he would receive mercy. Let's look again in verses 18 to 19. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The same road he happily travelled on for some time before he now walked slowly in an agonising return journey. Last time he travelled on this home there would have been hope and excitement from his point of view. This time it was filled with doubt and trepidation. The walk home would have been slow. He would have had plenty of time to think of the sort of reception he would have received when he got home. And in his mind, he's mulling over what he would say and concludes that he could never expect to be a family member again, but settles for being a servant to his father. Loved ones, we read the truth in the Bible that we can come to God as we are. When we come to him in repentance and desire to throw ourselves upon his mercy, he will receive us. God's offer of deliverance is open to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Joel 2:32. In Isaiah 1:18, God offers the invitation to come, though your sins are as a scarlet, and he will make them as white as snow. Revelation 22 verse 17 is an open invitation. Come, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The clear implication from these verses and many other Bible passages is that even though we are sinners, God desires us to come to him as we are so that he 
can cleanse us. He requires us to confess and to forsake our sins when we come to him. But he receives us just as we are. The younger son thought that he would go to his father, confess his sins and then be accepted as a servant. But as we read, his father receives him back as a son. When we come to Christ, loved ones, we are welcomed as a child of God, a son, a daughter. Will you come? Have you truly repented? A repentant son. And thirdly, and finally, we come to a returning son in verses 20b to 24. A returning son. The scene now changes. And the father who hasn't featured since the beginning is brought back into the parable. The focus switches to him. Look at verse 20 with me. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Powerful. The son who had disgraced the family lived a reckless life and abandoned his duty to care for his parents is greeted by the father running to him which is an undignified action for a father in that culture. The father doesn't react in anger. He doesn't reject his runaway son. Instead, when he sees him, he is filled with compassion. Despite the absolute state the lad would have been in, the disheveled hair, the dirty skin and clothes, the smell of pigs and body odour, the weight loss from the lack of food and the tired face from the long um, journey. His father embraces him and kisses him. An expression of welcome and forgiveness even before his son could utter the rehearsed apology. His father loved him and welcomed him back while he was still dirty. While his whole, whole body was ruined by what he had done. That is the love of the father. The prodigal son starts his speech of forgiveness. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 21. What he says is absolutely correct. He had sinned against his father and God and is not worthy to be called his son but his father cuts him off and gives instructions to his servants verse 22 and following but the father said to his servants bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate the father is immediately making him, his son, again. How can we tell? The best robe is put on him. 
A ring is put on his finger, symbols of sonship. And sandals are put on his feet, and that is also another of the emblems of sonship. Slaves and servants never wore those, only sons. The fatted calf is ordered to be slaughtered and cooked to have a big celebration. Not just for the family, but for the whole village. The younger son's intention to be a slave is now dead in the water. The father gives an unexpected and undeserved public welcome. A great celebration commences with the smell of fine food cooking. The people starting to congregate. The sound of music playing and dancing. Why? The father's declaration in verse 24. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost. And is found. The younger son's request for his inheritance. Wished that his father was dead. But in reality, he was the one dead when he left and ended up in the pig pen. Jeff Thomas, a retired pastor, says, Everything is forgotten in life, forgotten in the joy of that restoration. It is resurrection day on the farm. There is renewal and reconciliation. So they began to celebrate. Brothers and sisters, friends, precious loved ones, Jesus is teaching his hearers and us this morning of the great welcome that God gives those who come to him in repentance. Those who once lived a life of selfish rebellion. They are welcomed into the love and mercy of God and the joy of the kingdom. At that moment of conversion, a person receives all that they need. At that moment of conversion, what does God do for us? He freely pardons us from all our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As we read earlier. The father in the parable doesn't even mention any of the sins his son has done. He is silent on them all. His silence speaks volumes. When we come to God in repentance, he forgives and freely pardons you. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his force. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55 verse 7. Man, woman, boy, girl. In that moment of being abundantly pardoned, we also become clean. As clean as freshly fallen snow. Though your sins are as scarlet, they be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool, says the Lord. Isaiah 1.18 Brothers and sisters, our sins are blotted out, wiped, erased. God says, I remember your sins no more. 
The younger son wants to become a servant, but he is made a son. We are made sons and daughters of God when we become a Christian. Paul writes now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. As the hymn goes, brothers and sisters, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. He joins us to his son, Jesus Christ, and we are one in him forever. We are met with complete and free pardon. Brothers and sisters, what a heavenly father we have. All praise to him who has saved us, kept us, and has made us alive in Christ. Precious loved ones, we see that the younger son made a decision when he came to his senses. I will go out and go back to my father, verse 18. And he got up and went to his father, verse 20. He made a choice. All Christians at some point have made a decision to go to God and cast themselves upon the mercy of him. Jesus is teaching you and I am urging you this morning, precious friends, to go to God today. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. Go to God for mercy. Go to him for cleansing of your sin. Go to him so that he can wash you in the blood of the righteous son. His son, Jesus Christ. Go to God for he has paid the penalty for your sin. Go to him today and he will give you the robe of righteousness of his son. Come to him now. And he will welcome you into his kingdom. His arms of mercy, love, peace and forgiveness are open to you today. Will you come? Amen. Let's pray.